Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Parkinson's Recovery Radio. This is your host, Robert Rogers. I'm the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. Parkinson's Recovery is dedicated to provide information, resources, and information for individuals looking for lots of natural options that will enable them to find relief from the symptoms that are associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. I am really excited about the guest that we have today on Parkinson's Recovery Radio. Dr. Mario Martinez is a clinical neuropsychologist. Let me say that again, not just a psychologist, but a clinical neuropsychologist psychologist. He established the Biocognitive Science Institute in 1998. He's been at it longer than Parkinson's recovery. He developed a theory of mind-body culture he calls biocognition to suggest how cognition and biology co-emerge with their cultural history in a bio-informational field that seeks maximum contextual relevance. You're going to be excited about these really incredible insights and ideas that Dr. Martinez has. Dr. Martinez, thank you so much for taking the time today to be a guest on Parkinson's Recovery Radio. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Robert. So tell us all about yourself. Well, let's see. Uh, that's interesting because I talk about selfhood, and selfhood has so many uh, parameters. But I'm a uh, professionally, I'm a, as you said, a clinical neuropsychologist. And what that means is that it's uh, uh, the easiest way to explain it is a combination between neurology and psychology. We study how psychological processes, uh, for example, psychopathology, can affect the brain, but any kind of pathology from the brain can affect the psychology. So it's a combination of both. And we do quite a bit of work and the value of neuroplasticity, brain can adjust itself. So if you think of the brain as a computer, which is not, it, it's a different process, you would think that it would be a computer where the software can actually modify the hardware, and that's how the brain works. You can modify brain structure and brain neurochemistry, and that's good news for uh, neurodegenerative kinds of illnesses like uh, Parkinson's. So that's basically the idea. But what I've done is created... Uh, my, my uh, mentor was George Solomon, Dr. George Solomon, and he was a founder of psychoimmunology and later became psychoneurmunology, which is how thoughts and emotions affect the nervous, immune, and endocrine regulation. So what I've done is I added one more variable, which is culture. The brain is cultural, and the immune system responds to a cultural brain, so the immune system is also cultural. That's good and that's bad because the culture can teach some bad things but also you can change the cultural beliefs that you have and it will have a consequence on, on your biology. So it's exciting times. So as you are aware, the audience for Parkinson's recovery is not only global, but composed of family and individuals who are currently diagnosed with this disease that is labeled to be Parkinson's disease. What's up with Parkinson's disease? Well, uh, especially for, in my, fee, my model of biocognition, uh, I'll, I'll talk about illness and disease in general and then specifically to Parkinson's. The main thing 
is that if a person goes into helplessness, uh, like there's nothing that I can do, no matter what I do, nothing's going to work, I just better take it, that not only gets a person into depression, but it causes an immunological deficiency that actually adds to the symptoms of any illness that you have. And it also adds to the inflammation of any illness that you have. That's in general. So the first thing that I advise, and let's go to Parkinson's now, is that if you have Parkinson's disorder, if you have a member of the family that has Parkinson's, the best thing to do is to understand that that is not who you are. Your selfhood has nothing to do with that. The way to look at it is selfhood has a challenge that in this case is called Parkinson, and another would be called depression or diabetes. And the reason for that is if you identify yourself with that, then the helplessness of the illness would dictate who you are, and that will not be good for, for the illness or for the, for the recovery or for the uh, a way of, of uh, uh, trying to uh, slow down the symptoms. So for persons who have this condition, what steps can they take? Well, let's go to the neurochemistry first, and then, then we'll go from there because the, the plasticity of the brain is the, the thing to keep in mind here. We know, or at least we think we know, because nobody has all the answers, that it has to do with one of the neurotransmitters, uh, dopamine. And dopamine is uh, made from a gene, DRD4, that happens to be in the 11th chromosome. That, that's the, uh, the genetic component of it. And dopamine is involved in many, many uh, processes, heart rate, uh, the regulation of uh, medication, how it's excreted from the body, depression, movement in the case of uh, Parkinson and um, Parkinson's, as far as we know, is that it affects a part of the brain, um, the striatum and other areas of the brain, that happen to be where most of the uh, dopamine receptors are. And then that affects then the person's movements and it affects also depression because depression is a loop. By the symptoms, you get depressed. But also depression can cause problems that make the symptoms worse. It's like a loop. So given that, we know that there are certain deficits when, you, when your dopamine goes down. And then you take L-DOPA or other kinds of medications to increase the dopamine uh, transmission in the brain because it's a neurotransmitter. It, it, it's information that goes from one neuron to the other. But then what happens? We know that these are the deficits, but how are other ways that the brain compensate for the things that are lost from that particular problem? Well, first, depression. Depression, to deal with depression, uh, you have ways of specifically handling depression, and that, that's something that we can talk about. And second, that there are ways of increasing dopamine without necessarily uh, with a medication. So the me it can help the medication, uh, but it also can create its own uh, generation of dopamine and, and other uh, biochemistry that actually helps uh, Parkinson's. One of the ways to do that is that you begin, you have to have a mindset first. The mindset says, okay, there's this, this, this challenge that I have, and in this challenge that I have, I'm going to do some things that are going to change my life in a good way but the good thing about it is the things you're going to do for Parkinson are things that centenarians do. I work a lot with centenarians, people who are over 100 who are healthy. So all the things that I'm going to tell you 
are not only good for Parkinson's, but are good for longevity in general. So the first thing is that how can you increase dopamine and how can you increase neurotransmitters like serotonin and so forth that actually help depression? Well, the first one, exercise. Exercise is extremely important, especially if you kind of do any exercise that's called uh, burst training. Uh, and it, could be, it has to be something that you like. If you like swimming, then swimming. If you like walking, walking. Running I wouldn't recommend because running, you're going to have problems with your knees. But uh, any kind of exercise that, bring your heart, that brings your heart rate up to a, to a maximum level based on 80% of your base pulse and so forth, and then uh, slow it down. So, for example, let's say you like to walk, and you're able to walk, and the tremors are allowing you to do more. You walk for about 90 seconds as fast as you can, as fast as you're permitted with your movement, and then you slow down for 30 seconds, and you do it again. During those 30 seconds, what's happening is you're beginning to secrete a human growth hormone, which is anti-inflammatory, which promotes uh, also the, uh, the creation of dopamine. Uh, it's an antidepressant, cancer values, plus it's really good for cardiovascular conditioning. That's one. The other one is that we know that creativity uh, is related to dopamine. And, and, and for example, the problem with dopamine are not just uh, Parkinson. You have it with attention deficit disorder, with uh, addictions. And by the way, attention deficit disorder is not a disorder nor a deficit. It's an abundance of curiosity that's not harnessed uh, properly. So then what, what can you do? You can do some techniques where you get yourself relaxed and you go into a contemplative state, which just simply means after you get relaxed, you just pay attention to what's going on. You're observing what's going on. And then you begin to think about creative things in your life that you can start, number one. And also you think about pleasure, things that are going to be pleasurable for you, and you imagine those things and you embody them as if they're actually happening. What you're doing neuro neurochemistry-wise is that dopamine is not secreted when the uh, pleasure comes. It's secreted in the anticipation of the pleasure. So if you and, – and, and addicts will – Look, for example, uh, uh, dopamine increases when they, when they uh, get the cocaine, but it's not when they get the cocaine. It's the anticipation of the cocaine. So knowing that, you can uh, pretty much trigger things in your brain where you can begin to become more curious in your life. You begin to think more of the things that give you pleasure and imagine, anticipate the pleasure coming. Those are indirect ways to increase dopamine. Uh, and it actually it decreases the symptoms and the extra parameter and all the kinds of things that happen. But that's just one of the few things that we can do. So when you suggest a person can go into this rather relaxed meditative state and begin to connect to pleasurable events, if a person is thinking, oh, I've always wanted to go to Spain, but that's never going to happen, so I'm not going to think about it, is the idea, well, wait a minute, if that's a pleasurable thought and potential experience for the person, they really ought to go there and begin to anticipate what it would be like to be in Spain? Yes, because otherwise that's a good point because you'll kill it. If you do a killjoy, you'll kill the patient value. And I'll give you an example. Centenarians think I've come up with what I call the causes of health, and this is what I have observed after studying hundreds of centenarians all over the world. They have something that, that, that my mentor called healthy narcissism. They think that everybody loves them. 
And to think that somebody loves you, it's an as-if world, has the benefits as if you're actually really being loved. You have endorphins, and including dopamine, a serotonin, all these wonderful things, because your biology will go to the as-if belief that you have. The opposite would be uh, superstars that are loved by millions of people, and they kill themselves or they uh, abuse themselves with drugs, because in their world, they don't really believe that they're being loved. So going back to your example, you have to act as if it's happening. And it doesn't matter. Your biology, your brain doesn't know the difference. Your cognition knows, but your brain doesn't know that you're, you're, you're in, uh, in Spain or not in Spain. So you think, I'm in Spain, and I'm enjoying the good food, and I'm having good wine, and all these kinds of things. And that anticipation itself is what allows the neurochemistry to kick in. You noted the second dimension has to do with depression. Many members of my audience really do have profound chronic depression, and they may be thinking, yeah, I don't, I'm not even energetic and enthused enough to even do anything that you just suggested. Well, what about depression? If you wait for the emotion to motivate you, you're going to wait a lifetime. You have to do things mechanically. It's like, for example, I don't like to work out too much, but I work out five days a week. Every time that I go work out, I tell myself, oh, I really want to go, but I go and I do it. Then later you have the endorphins and all these other things. So when you do that for a while, now I love working out. So you, have to, you can't wait for the emotion to move you. You have to move so the emotion changes. So you make a, a, an honorable commitment to yourself. Of course, you have to value yourself to make an honorable commitment. And then whether rain or shine, you get up and you do what you need to do. And you don't worry about what you're feeling. You're, you're not led by the feelings. You're led by the action that you chose to take. If you do that, not only will you come out of the depression as much as possible, but also your self-esteem goes up. Self-esteem goes down when you break self-caring commitments. It goes up when you keep self-caring commitments. And one of uh, Socrates' uh, students, uh, Aristippus, which most people don't know about him, he's not that well known, he, he said, adjust circumstances to you, not you to circumstances. And that's a very important mantra to maintain with Parkinson. So a number of people have a true challenge with their thoughts about what this condition means. And so they hold the belief deep down inside that this condition is degenerative. They're not going to get better. There's not much they can do, but just let the die be cast. What do you want to say to people that really can't get out of their negative thought forms? First, that if you believe that and you want to believe that, that's exactly what will happen that you're not going to go anywhere. That's the first thing. So if you believe that and you want to believe it, go ahead and believe it, but it's not going to change anything. If you want to change, then it's very important to look at what we call in psychology attribution, <clears throat> the cost that we give to things. So what happens with Parkinson or any illness is that you begin to attribute whatever's not working to the illness. So if you can't move as fast, it's the illness. If you have a bad thought, it's the illness. And what it does is that it reinforces the bioinformational field of the illness, and it gets worse and worse and worse. So, for example, if you are uh, – and so you can see that it works for, for most uh, conditions. If you are afraid and, and you're put into portals and cultures, for example, at 20, you're not supposed to forget things. 
And if you do, it's okay. At 70, ooh, if you get things, forget things, dementia. So let's say that you are going from, from and this happens to with Parkinson's, you know, you go from uh, the bedroom to the kitchen. And you get to the kitchen and you don't know why you're in the kitchen. If you're 20, you say, oh, I forgot. If you're 70, oh, my God, dementia. Oh, or the Parkinson or whatever, the attribution. So you're stopping and say, okay, I don't remember what I'm doing here. I'll go back to the source where the memory started and see what happens. So you go back to the bedroom, and 99% of the time you're going to remember, oh, I went there to pick up a spoon, a spoon or I went there to get some water. Because what happens is that the, the memory is stored in, in, in a particular place, but if you're thinking about something else, it'll deteriorate when you get to that place, but, it, but it's still in the context where it learned. So you can go back and do that. Same thing with Parkinson. When you have these attributions about Parkinson, you can say, Yes, it could be this, but it could be something else, and let me do something about it. It's all action, action, action. Let me do something about it. And then when you could, what you, don't try to get rid of a thought because if you do, it gets worse. Allow the thought to come in and let it pass, and it's okay, now what do I do now? Let the thought come in. Somebody's knocking at the door, open the door. Don't keep, no, keep it close because it'll get worse. So they open the door, it comes in, okay, now what do I do now? And you take some action at that moment, and what will happen is that gradually – those uh, intruding thoughts will not have any function because everything works, as you know, with uh, neurotransmitters. The more you repeat something, the more the neuromaps of your transmitters are going to get stronger. The less you repeat that and you replace it, the key is that you have to replace it. If you don't replace it, it'll go back to, to the vacuum, fill up the vacuum. You replace it, the new neurotransmitters gain power and the old uh, neurotransmitters and, and, and neuromaps get weaker and weaker until they dissipate. But it takes discipline. And discipline, look at yourself, Parkinson or any illness, as a detective of your body. And you're going to discover some beautiful things about your brain. We've been around for 150,000 years, and we transfer causes of health epigenetically every generation. So you have a tremendous amount of information in your software. You just have to learn how to access it and begin to make the changes that the brain allows you to make with the neuroplasticity that it has. From your wonderful suggestions, it sounds like Thank people you. really will have to take some responsibility and to take some action on one front or another. What about a person yes. who says to themselves, look, wait a minute, um, I've seen on the website there these wonderful supplements, uh, brain health supplements. I'm just going to go get a lot of those, take those to make my brain healthy. I don't want to go with all of this challenge that uh, is going to help me be able to have better plasticity in my brain. What would you say to somebody who'd like to do it that way? Well, the quick fix leads to quick failure. That's my philosophy. And it doesn't work that way because you take, uh, for example, uh, uh, some dopamine enhancer because you take uh, uh, a particular medic, uh, uh, supplement, it doesn't work that way. The, the, the body has to make its own amino acids that turn into proteins. The body has to do it. So eating well helps a lot. Uh, vitamin D3 and things are helpful. But you have to do the work. If you don't do the work, then all those supplements are just going to make a lot of money for a lot of people but they're not going to help you as much because the, the, the brain doesn't work that way. The brain works with natural processes uh, and, and with good food, 
One thing that you want to do is you want to get away from sugar. You want to get away from soft drinks. You want to get away from smoking. And if you smoke, make it a ritual. You have three cigarettes a day, but not chain smoking. Uh, and, and you want to be able to eat foods that are anti-inflammatory because any inflammation affects any illness from depression to cancer, including Parkinson's. So the inflammatory foods are foods with sugar, refined pasta, uh, anything with gluten, um, rice, things like that. So you want to minimize them, but I would say get rid of all soft drinks and get rid of all those drinks that they tell you that it helps you with uh, uh, immediate uh, power and just, all of that is junk and it's not good. And it creates inflammation, which is bad for any illness, including Parkinson's. So it's a challenge, but it's an exciting challenge. As I connect in with the thoughts of my listening audience, I think some people are thinking to themselves, he's right. I know he's right, but I can't do it by myself. Can you provide assistance and support and help to persons who need it? Um, well, I, I do private consultations and, and mentoring and workshops and all that. But what I would suggest also, which would be free, is to create a, an interest group, a subculture of wellness. But I would not create a, um, uh, a Parkinson's uh, support group or an HIV support group. All, all they do is the blind leading the blind. The, the kind of uh, uh, what I call the subcultures of wellness, get together with people who, for example, enjoy something that you enjoy, uh, farming, art, music, whatever, and create a subculture of wellness so they can support your selfhood and your pleasure rather than your illness. Because I used to think, well, if you have a support group for this, support group for that, what you do is you talk about your symptoms, you talk about the medication, the next doctor keeps you in that mindset of helplessness, which actually works against you, doesn't support anything except the illness. So that's the way to do it. You create people or you find people that have things that you like and what it does now that, that uh, your audience knows that uh, that uh, pleasure increases uh, your or the anticipation of ple pleasure increases your dopamine, you're going to be doing things that actually increases dopamine. So if you enjoy art and you and you talk to people that 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 like art, and you subscribe to art magazines and you you make it a, a part of your life, not only are you enjoying, you're getting out of the Parkinson consciousness, and you're increasing dopamine. So it's a win-win. This is your host, Robert Rogers. I'm the founder of Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Dr. Mario Martinez, a clinical neuropsychologist. Dr. Martinez, you have a wealth of resources available on your website. Can you direct listeners to a particular program or DVD or course uh, that you think they might be most benefited with? I think if they go to my website to biocognitive.com, uh, they can look at all the things that are available and, and, and things that just in general that will help in, in developing self-esteem and developing selfhood to make things easier. But also I have over 130 videos that are free on uh, my YouTube channel, and it's Dr. Mario Martinez uh, YouTube channel, and you'll see all kinds of things there. 
that may not be related to Parkinson's, but it's related to wellness and it's related to dealing with any kind of challenge that you have in your life. Because you, you made a good point. Uh, some people are just not willing to do anything, and partly not, not because they're lazy or anything. It's because their self-worthiness has gone down. And I teach a lot about how to bring your self-worthiness up, how to increase your, uh, your sense of, of value, so that then these things uh, become meaningful to you. Because if you don't care about yourself, you're not going to do anything. So that website is the following. It's biocognitive.com, and I'll spell that for members of my listening audience. B as in boy, I as in interest, O as in over, C as in cat, O as in over, G as in go, N as in no, I as in interest, T as in Tom, I as in interest, V as in Victor, and O as in, uh, no, E, I'm sorry, E as in every.com, biocognitive.com. And then to search on the YouTube for all of these wonderful videos uh, that will be very helpful. Let me spell his name for you as well. It's Dr. Mario Martinez, and so first name Mario, M as in Mary, A as in Apple, R as in Ready, I as in Interest, O as in Oscar. And then Martinez is M as in Mary, A as in Apple, R as in Ready, T as in Tom, I as in Interest, N as in Never, E as in Every, and Z as in zebra, so Mario Martinez. So YouTube, uh, if you'll search on his name, uh, you'll be able to then begin to ask us uh, many of the wonderful videos that he has to offer. So Dr. Martinez, are there any specific little routines uh, that you might want to suggest people can do other than what you've already recommended? Uh, yes, there's several things. <clears throat> when you get up in the morning, you have to clean up the uh, dreams and processes that are going on while you're sleeping so you don't dump them into the day. And before you go to sleep, you do the meditation that I'm going to tell you about so you don't dump the day into the dreams. So, again, it's like a vicious cycle. So when you get up, rather than getting up immediately, sit up on the bed, allow things to come out from the night. Uh, don't look for them. Just uh, watch a film that you don't know what the film's going to be. You may have some dreams, you may have some thoughts, you may have nothingness, but what you're doing is you're dumping the things that could get you into the routine of putting yourself down and depression and all that. So if something comes up, don't interpret it. Watch it like a film and let it go, let it go. You do it for about 10 minutes and then you get up. And one of the things you can do uh, whenever you're ready, depending on how much uh, ability you have to move, something that's going to help you because one of the things that happens with Parkinson's is it affects the, the motor, the, the movement, and the smoothness of the movement. So uh, there's something called the Zen walk. And what you do at home, you walk very, very slowly in a very purposeful way. You move one foot in front of the other, and you're going to be a little bit out of balance. And if you need a cane, use a cane to you, to you teach your body. You move one foot after the other, one foot after the other. And as you do that, the brain, when the brain is out of balance, when the body is out of balance, the, the brain pays much attention to what's going on. 
That's why when you're riding a bike and you're learning, you go from the left to the right, that's a, that's a proprioceptive kind of learning. It's a procedural learning that is not something you think about. It's, it, proprioceptive is orienting you in time and space, and procedural is something that's not conscious, but it's repetition, repetition trains the body. So you're going to train your body to have better balance and to have smoothness of your movement. Then also you can practice Tai Chi, very slow movement, and you make them as smooth as you can. What you're doing is you're retraining your brain to work and compensate for the things that the lack of dopamine is not doing for you. And then, of course, uh, create an exercise that you like and be meticulous about it. If you, but, if, but if you don't do it one day, don't beat yourself up. Don't put yourself down and say, okay, I didn't do it today. All right, I'll do it tomorrow. And then you do it tomorrow. And that is the way to indirectly build your self-esteem and which allows you then to be worthy enough to do these things. So it's, it's, uh, one is building upon the other. The other thing you can do is you can do in the middle of the day, you can do a, a, a bit of a meditation, just sit comfortably and do the technique that I talked about where you start thinking about all the wonderful things that you want to do. Now, obstruction is going to come in. No, you can't do that because you're too old or because you're sick. Right? Let it pass, take a deep breath, and go back into the meditation where you're creating that beautiful future that you want that's when you create neurochemistry. So by doing that every day, after a week, you're going to find some very significant changes and you're going to feel really good about yourself and that will move you into doing things even more and more. And, and it's been shown that you can actually diminish significantly the deterioration of the illness and then you can have a, a, the same longevity as anybody else uh, doing these kinds of things and by diminishing the helplessness that you learned from the illness. I understood you then to say just now that it is not inevitable that people will degenerate if they have a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, that in fact they can actually get better. Yes, and they can definitely uh, decrease the speed of the deterioration or actually hold it back, uh, completely block it in some cases. And remember that when they give you a diagnosis, they're giving you a diagnosis of what happens on the average. But uh, that doesn't mean that that's what your sentence is. You're an individual, just like uh, lifespan is so much, well, the people, uh, centenarians who are beyond that. So you get out of the curve because all the studies are done on, on, on the curve based on the average. But on the two sides of the, of the tail, you have the, for example, they say you have an illness and you're going to die in six months. That's stupid. That's a bad medicine. If you go to the left side of the scale, they die in three weeks. You go to the right side of the scale, and they die in three years. Well, the good scientists will say, let's look at what these people on the right side here, what are they doing to live three years rather than six months? And that's the kind of medicine that I think that needs to be practiced. You said a few moments ago the recommendation that when a person wakes up, they walk slowly. The thought I had was, so people are learning how to walk again every single day. Would that be a right summary of that suggestion? Yes, uh, exactly. To, 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 you're learning to walk again, and then since you're doing something new, another part of the brain is going to create neuromaps that you don't have. So you're learning to walk again, but you're also learning tremendous balance, even if, even if you don't have Parkinson's. Uh, I, I do it every day, and, and I do it slower and slower till I'm out of balance. 
And the reason I do it to be out of balance is when you're out of balance, the brain pays attention. And one added value to that is that during the Zen walk, think of things that you like in your life, things that give you pleasure. And what will happen is that you're adding value to it because when you're a little bit out of balance and you think of something positive, the brain will store it even more because out of balance means this is important, so I need to store this. So it's another way of increasing the value of the things that I talked about. Would it make sense for a person to practice writing with their left hand if, in fact, they're right-handed or vice versa? In other words, using a part of what they normally do uh, that is unused, would that help neuroplasticity? Uh, yes, I think so. Because, uh, for example, if you're, if you're right-handed, most of your uh, logical and and um, linguistic kinds of abilities are going to be on that side. But if you're left-handed, 40 to 50% of the people have the inverse. If you're right-handed and you, and you start doing things with your left hand, as you said, writing or, or picking up things with your left hand, you're going to create a, uh, uh, some, some neural maps, again, that you normally would not use. You notice if you're right-handed, you're going to have a little bit more muscles on the right side of your, of your hand and arm because you use it more. So if you start using the other side, it forces the brain to create the neural maps to make the connection with the muscles and, and the, uh, uh, the fine motor skills that are needed. So, yes, that's a, that's a great idea. How can listeners get in touch with you? Uh, I think through, through the website is the, web, the best place to do it because I get a lot of emails, and of course I can't answer most of them, but I do try as much as I can. Uh, but uh, that would be the first step, to, to go to the website and see what's available. And then if you have any questions, there's a, a place where it says contact, and you can through email or, or some of our, our, our people in our group, and we will answer the emails as fast as we can. You've covered many fascinating topics and made a wonderful set of suggestions what question have I not asked you that I really should have asked you? <laughs> well, you've done a great job, so it's going to be hard to answer that. But I would say that it's really important to remember, for Parkinson's or anything else, that you are a product of your culture. And you want to look at what your culture tells you about illness. You want to look at what your culture tells you about uh, the co-authors of the illness. So it's very important that... Uh, in order to improve your condition, you have to look at the co-authors who are making the condition worse without them knowing it. So, for example, you have a friend that all they talk about is your Parkinson. You change the subject, change the subject. If the, if the person doesn't get it, you have to pull back a little because they're reinforcing the consciousness of the illness. The other, let me give you an example of how powerful the culture is. Um, in some places in South America and other countries, uh, the women that have the hot flashes, they call them bochorno in Spanish, which means shame. And shame, by the way, is inflammatory. Shame causes inflammation. So I'll, I'll mention that. I'm glad you asked me that because I would have forgotten about that. It causes inflammation. So women that have the menop uh, menopause, especially the, the hot flashes, need more hormone replacement. Self-esteem goes down. Libido goes down. Uh, and um, their, their pain increases. So you would think, well, that's a universal. It's just because you have hot flashes and, and that's hormonal and that's how it is. You go to Japan 
and they call it konenki, which means the second spring. Women go into a place where they go into greater wisdom, greater sensuality. They become mentors to other women, significantly lower needs for uh, medication, significantly lower uh, pain, and increase in libido and self-esteem. Totally cultural. As listeners reflect back one week from now on having listened to this incredibly insightful and helpful interview with you today, what would you most like them to remember? The plasticity of the brain, the ability of the brain to readjust and to learn in areas that it hasn't learned. That would be the the most powerful message. And that you have to allow yourself to feel worthy before you try any of these things. And when you try these things, again, it's like a loop. You try it, you feel better, you feel better, you feel better about yourself, you do more. It requires a commitment because you're worthy of the commitment. That would be what I would say. Dr. Mario Martinez, thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to be a guest on Parkinson's Recovery Radio. My pleasure. Thank you, Robert, and congratulations for the work you do. (laughs) Dr. Martinez's website, once again, is www.biocognitive.com. If you search on YouTube for over 100 of his videos, his name, once again, is Mario Martinez. And that's what's happening here on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all of the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact that you've been listening to this incredibly insightful and helpful and informative and inspiring interview with Dr. Martinez, that you indeed, in your own time, in your own way, and using whatever resources you have access to, you are traveling successfully down the road to recovery. Thank you so much for being a supporter of Parkinson's Recovery. Good day.